Good morning, Grace Point. We are so glad you're here today, um, especially if you're here for the very first time. So wherever you are in the world, whenever you're watching this, we're so thrilled you're here and hope this has been a meaningful experience for you today. We're, we're going to keep on in a series we started a couple weeks ago called Bible Stories for Grownups, Hebrew Bible Edition. And last week we took sort of a grown-up lens um, and we took it to the Noah story. Uh, and if you missed that, you can catch that on YouTube or on our podcast. Today, I want to dive into another story, which is maybe if the Noah story kind of made you feel uncomfortable, I think this one it may, may push us over the edge. It, it is one of the most shocking and uncomfortable stories that the Bible has to offer. And it happens really early on in Genesis chapter 22, when a father named Abraham is commanded by the God character to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, in Hebrew, it's known as ha-akidah, which is, literally means the binding. Um, it, it's the story that rightly upsets us. And just to give you a bit of a spoiler, uh, in this story, the God, God character um, commands Abraham to sacrifice his son in order to prove, it's a test, in order to prove Abraham's faith to this God. What kind of God would command such a thing? What kind of father actually builds an altar and prepares in an act of obedience to the command to kill his child? And this is one of those stories. When people talk about stuff in the Bible that's just sort of like, man, that's, that's way back in the past. That's not a thing. Like these are, This is one of those stories that people rightly are put off with. So I have all sorts of questions. I'm sure you have all sorts of questions. I thought it might be helpful to hear it first. And so let's just hold these questions in our minds. I want to invite you. We're going to hear this text read for us, actually maybe sort of performed for us, Reader's Theater style. Um, and we'll go through the text. And as you're listening, I would encourage you, just make a note, whether it's mentally or on a notepad, make a note of, of any line, any phrase, anything that jumps out at you. And when we come back, I'll share um, some of those things that popped out for me. So Listen to the text, Genesis 22, 1 through 19. Genesis 22, 1 through 19. After these events, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. Abraham answered, I'm here. God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him up as an entirely burned offering there on one of the mountains that I will show you. Abraham got up early in the morning, harnessed his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, together with his son Isaac. He split the wood for the entirely burned offering, set out, and went to the place God had described to him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance. Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will walk up there and worship then come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the entirely burned offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He took the fire and the knife in his hand, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father? Abraham said, I'm here, my son. Isaac said, Here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the entirely burned offering? Abraham said, The lamb for the entirely burned offering? God will see to it, my son. The two of them walked on together. They arrived at the place God had described to him. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. 
But the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, I'm here. The messenger said, Don't stretch out your hand against the young man and don't do anything to him. I now know that you revere God and didn't hold back your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and saw a single ram caught by its horns in the dense underbrush. Abraham went over, took the ram, and offered it as an entirely burned offering instead of his son. Abraham named that place the Lord Sees. That is the reason people today say, On this mountain, the Lord is seen. The Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I give my word as the Lord that because you did this and didn't hold back your son, your only son, I will bless you richly and I will give you countless descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, as the grains of sand on the seashore, they will conquer their enemies' cities. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of your descendants, because you obeyed me. After Abraham returned to the young men, they got up and went to Beersheba, where Abraham lived. Oh, thank you all so much. Isn't that story just, isn't it, isn't it tough? Isn't it difficult to get through? I mean, even if you already knew the story and you know where it's going, where the ram shows up at the end and the Isaac doesn't get sacrificed, there, there's still so much like heaviness and uh, that's a very technical, technical theological term. Uh, There's just so much of that going on. And and I wonder maybe what stood out for you. I want to share a few things that stood out for me. First of all, right after, right off the bat, after these events, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, God, what God tested the idea of God testing people to get them to prove something, to see what they'll, what they might do, how they'll respond. I mean, it's a really, it's kind of terrible, isn't it? Can you, can you imagine like, like God is just messing with us? God's treating us like we're like lab mice in some way, just wants to see what we'll do. Would God actually traumatize somebody just to see how they might respond to it? Now, this idea of testing actually gets a little more detail in a book called Jubilees. Now, this is a, a non-canonical. I mean, there's some traditions out there that consider it canonical, but generally it's considered like a non-canonical. It's not part of any of the, like the Bible. But it, it is sort of serves as a kind of midrash. Midrash is, is interpretation, right? And so you have midrash that essentially gets written in response to stories people have questions about, where the rabbis, the sages will sort of fill in some of the gaps and give extra details and, and sort of try to clear some things up in stories. It's a kind of commentary on the text. And in the book of Jubilees, this story about Isaac and Abraham, Abraham's sacrifice, near sacrifice of Isaac, it actually gets kind of cast, and you, maybe you remember the story of Job from the Bible, like you've been flipping through, and you're like, well, there's a book of Job, <laughs> right? So the book of Job, and the book of Job, it begins with God and a figure called the Satan, and the Satan essentially says to God, no wonder Job's a good guy, you've given him everything, and not, he's not had a single hard day in his life, like that sort of story. Listen to what Jubilees says. It came to pass, there were voices in heaven regarding Abraham, that he was faithful in all that God told him, that he loved the Lord, and that in every affliction, he was faithful. And the prince Mastima, and by the way, the prince Mastima, Mastima is a Hebrew word that means like hatred or hostility. Um, And so this this idea, this is similar to the Satan, right? Satan in Hebrew is, is a title, not a name. It means the accuser, the Satan. 
Um, and the Satan sort of served as a prosecuting attorney in the Hebrew Bible. Before the Satan was sort of like the anti-God or whatever, uh, the Satan began as a prosecuting attorney. And so this is a similar, this is a figure of hatred and hostility who came and, came and said before God, behold, Abraham loves Isaac, his son, and he delights in him above all else. Bid him offer him as a burnt offering on the altar, and you will see if he will do this command, and you will know if he is faithful in everything, wherein you do try him. Now, can we just right off the bat, just make a couple observations about this. What kind of God can get baited into ruining, almost ruining someone's life um, just in order to, to prove to somebody else? Like this is sort of God's, God, God is responding. He's like, okay, I'll do it just to prove to you, just to prove how much Abraham loves me. Right? I mean, think about just the, the trauma, the agony. This is just a painful story. And so let me just say on the front end of this, I do not believe God tests us. God does not test us. It actually says in the book of James, uh, whenever you're tested, nobody should say God's doing it because that's not how God works in the world. That's, that's, a, that's a paraphrase, but that's, it's in the book of James, chapter one. God doesn't put us in traumatic situations to see what we'll do. Now, what often happens is we seek to find meaning in our experiences. And one of the ways we humans have done that is we tend to attribute our experiences to something God is doing. And the unfortunate result is that sometimes, yes, sometimes it brings comfort. Like, uh, you know, when, when everything works out and you're like, ah, I knew God was up to something in there, right? But, but what about all the other moments? What about all the other moments when it doesn't work out? When somebody believes God has been testing them and trying them to see what they'll, and it actually goes terribly. The unfortunate result is we end up with a God that is ultimately void of compassion at best, and intentionally capricious at worst. It's like either God doesn't care or God in this, in this understanding is actively trying to, to see what will happen to us. God is actively trying to mess us up. So that's one thing. This idea of testing, I think, is like the, the Abraham is asked to sacrifice his child on sort of a, a, a whim, a test. Uh, and then this next line, when God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, it's, it's almost like... And there's all sorts of um, writing about this in, in rabbi and commentary, but there's almost sort of this God, the God character wants to make sure Abraham knows because, because Abraham has another son, um, uh, Ishmael, who's, who's treated poorly and may come back to that story at some point in the future. Um, but in this one, he wants to make sure, take your son, your only son that you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, offer him up as an entirely burned offering there on one of the mountains I will show you. Isn't that excruciating? Take your son your only son, who you love. If you're confused, Isaac, right? It just builds. And then this next part, Abraham took the wood for the entirely burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac. Are you kidding me? He makes him carry the wood that he's going to be sacrificed on. Like this is the ultimate. And just, oh, it's just unbelievable. How could Abraham do this? And then when they're walking along and Isaac says, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the entirely burned off? Am I the only one screaming? It's you, right? You need to run away. It's almost like when you're watching a horror movie, uh, if that's your thing, and you, people out, it's like dark and they're out in the middle of the woods and they hear a noise outside and somebody's like, I'm going to go check on the noise outside. And then they go outside and you never hear from them again. I mean, you want to stop in the story and just say, Isaac, you've got to run 
because you are headed right, like you're going outside into a guy wearing a hockey mask. This is not going to go well for you. And, and what's really, really maybe even more troublesome is Isaac, like there's debates about how old Isaac would have been portrayed as in the story. Some people say 25, other people say around 37. This is like a grown man walking with wood that he's about to be sacrificed on, asking the father, where, where is it? Where is the entirely burned offering? And then, of course, Abraham gets up to the mountain, creates the altar, lays the wood on it, and he prepares to go through with it. He binds Akidah. He binds his son Isaac and places him on the altar, and then he raises the knife to sacrifice his own son. How, how do we even begin to make sense of this story? Do we, should we even try? Is this one of those stories we just need to leave behind? And maybe the larger question is, what do we do with a God who decides to test Abraham by commanding him to sacrifice his own son? God doesn't already know what he's going to do. So we're saying that, that God is just going to check. And then if God already does know what he's going to do, he, and he asks him to do it anyway, I mean, the, the trauma, the pain, the agony, the, the psychological terrorism of this, this command to go sacrifice your son. I can't, cannot imagine the immensity of the pain and the torture. I, I think exploring what scholars have learned about this text actually could shed some light on it. Um, and we might be able to do something with it. So if, again, like I said last week, if you're interested in the Bible and you're, you love nerdy Bible things, I, I see you, I am you, and uh, I too am a Bible nerd. So this first part will be for you. If you're not a Bible nerd and you're like, tell me, get to the point, what am I supposed to do with this? How do we process this story? Um, I, I promise you it's going somewhere interesting, and there may be a couple of cool aha moments, too, for you along the way. So we'll see what happens. Just hang with me. Uh, so last week, Bible nerds, we talked about the Noah story and how there were two different versions of the Noah story that were stitched together by an editor called the Redactor uh, of sorts. And <clears throat> this is actually true of this story as well in Genesis 22. There are two sources here. The first is known as E, or the Elohist, because it, the primary name for God in the source is Elohim. Um, and when you, so when you see God in the text, it's Elohim. That's the, that's the word being used. The other source is likely the person called the redactor, who was sort of the editor who came in and brought the, the Hebrew Bible called the Torah together. Uh, and and the, the editor, the redactor, made some changes in some places that are really, really interesting. And, and changed the way the narrative flows in places and changed how stories are connected in places. And so what actually happens in this story is the, the E story, the Elois story is being told. And at some point, the editor jumps in and makes a change in the narrative that changes the story. And, and I'll show you how that works out in just a minute. So the story begins with the E source. It is Elohim who calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And there are two interesting things about the E source that we can tell. First, there's a possibility that in the original story contained in this source, the e-source, Elohist, there is a possibility, it actually seems like that in the original e-story, Abraham actually goes through with it. It seems like in the original narrative written by the person who compiled e, that Abraham actually goes through with the sacrifice and he sacrifices his son, Isaac. And there's a couple of reasons we, we can think that. First, the story ends like this. After Abraham returned to the young men, they got up and went to Beersheba where Abraham lived. Do you notice anybody's name that was present in the story at the beginning that is no longer present in the story as, as the e-source brings it to a close? Who is, who's missing? It's Isaac. Isaac's not there. Abraham comes back in the e-story alone. 
there's no mention of Isaac. Now, it it's, could be that that's a coincidence, but it's also possible that there was an, another story that ended differently entirely. And, and the second is connected to the first. The reality is that in the e-source, as it can be traced through the, the Torah, the first five books, the e-source, in the e-source, Isaac never appears again. After this moment on, on the mountain in Moriah with Abraham pulling back the knife to sacrifice his son, after this moment, Isaac never appears again. Now, you can make a good case for if you were up on that mountain, you would never appear in the story again until you'd be like, Dad, I'm getting out of here. I'm not, right? But Isaac pops up in other sources after this, after this event, but not in the e-source as it's presented in Genesis 22. So what exactly happens? It's really, really interesting. When, when God, Elohim, commands Abraham to sacrifice, it's Yahweh, right? The, the personal name for God that the Yahweh source uses or that Moses used, uh, discovered at Sinai. It, it's Yahweh who steps in and stops the sacrifice. Now I want to show you this text and I've got it color-coded. I think it's going to be in green and red, maybe, um, Christmas-themed, I, I believe is what the, the colors we used. Um, but if you read the text, you start reading in the e-source. They arrived at the place God had described them, Elohim. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And then if you take out the... What the in, interpolation that has been, if you take out what the editor's done, here's where you would go to next. God saying to Abraham, I now know that you revere God and didn't hold back your son, your only son from me. You go, pulling out the knife, I know that you revere me and fear me because you didn't hold back your only son. So here's what happens. Abraham holds back the knife. Then the editor comes in and says, but the Lord's messenger, Yahweh's messenger, which is another way of saying God, Yahweh, um, the messenger just sort of creates space in the, in the Jewish tradition to not really, you're not supposed to speak the name of God. And so even to portray God in some sort of way is problematic. So you would say the Yahweh's messenger when you're really talking about Yahweh. But the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham said, I'm here. The messenger said, don't stretch out your hand against the young man and don't do anything to him. So there's this story where like Isaac is bound on the train tracks and the train is coming. And then at the last moment, this voice calls out, Abraham, don't do this. Elohim calls Abraham to the mountain with a knife and some wood and some fire and his only son, his only son in, in this sense of this story. And it's Yahweh's voice that calls him away from the sacrificial altar. And actually there's a ram in the thicket. Here's, here's the way I think we can understand this story. I think this story is about an evolution in the understanding of God. Last week we talked about how the flood stories are actually a step forward, right? Because um, it's human violence, not divine annoyance, right? In the, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the gods destroy, send the flood because people are too noisy and they can't sleep. But in the Noah story, there's, there's something going on that it's not divine violence that causes it, but it's actually human violence that is threatening all of creation, I think this story is about leaving behind a way of understanding God and embracing a better, more compassionate understanding. El <clears throat> Elohim calls Abraham to sacrifice his son. Do you notice that Abraham doesn't bat an eye? Like it literally goes to sacrifice your son and then it's like, okay, they, they leave, they go do it. He doesn't protest, he doesn't argue, he doesn't do what I hope, think, I think hopefully all of us would do, which is tell that God where to go and how to get there. He just does it, he doesn't flinch. 
The text immediately says, after the command to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham got up early in the morning, harnessed his donkey, and they, took, they went off. Why in the world? I mean, wouldn't you protest? Wouldn't you say, you could, no way am I going to do that? You find somebody else to do your thing in the world then. I, I'm not, you want to test me? I failed this test. I, I choose not to participate in a test like this. Could it be, though, that Abraham responds with blind obedience because this isn't out of the ordinary for him in his world? Could it be that in Abraham's day, it wasn't uncommon for a deity to demand the sacrifice of your children? Maybe for Abraham's world, this is just how the gods worked. And you understood that this is how the gods worked. That if you wanted the gods on your side, you had to prove that you were loyal to them and that faithful to them, that you would, have, you would hold nothing back from them. And then Abraham makes a leap forward, or the editor does, right? This God, Yahweh, doesn't demand. This God provides. This God doesn't demand the only son. This God says, oh, but there's a ram in the thicket. That seems like a better idea. And there's some people who say maybe this is a moment that sort of encapsulates a move within Judaism in its very, very nascent early stages of moving away from anything that resembles human sacrifice and moving into animal sacrifice. And there's all sorts of these little moments in the Bible where it pops up that some of the Israelite or, or Judite kings were out sacrificing their firstborn, which is, which is called abomination. It's horrible. You don't do this sort of thing. You don't give your, you don't sacrifice your children to the gods. But, but could this be a, a leap forward? A God who doesn't demand, but a God that provides. Could this story be symbolic of the journey so many of us have been on? A leaving behind of understandings of God that are destructive and toxic and they just have not served us, humanity, or the planet well. And embracing a God that is more compassionate, more inclusive, and more generous than we ever imagined could be possible. Maybe the question for Abraham and for us is, will we leave behind the familiar and journey into the unknown? It really is the polar opposite of the certainty that defined my earliest religious experiences. Do you know that you know that you know? And I, I think there's something about just being able to say, I don't know, but I, I'm following something better. Whatever the word God means, I, it, it is leading me off the map, out into the mist. I can't see it. I can't make it out. I don't know where this is going, but I know where I've been. I know I've been in the places that say that God wants me to sacrifice my kid. I know I've been in places where it seemed like there was certainty, but that certainty left out a whole bunch of people. And I feel called by this voice that's saying, no, 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 no. Don't sacrifice your son. There's a ram over there. This voice that says, no, 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 no. You don't have to exclude them. This is bigger and more expansive and more inclusive than you imagine. I mean, the moment we feel like we can define God, we're in trouble because we've created a God that is definitely cast in our own image. But sort of this mysterious God, the God that calls to us and invites us into a journey into unknowing, a journey into more questions, a journey into more even doubt at times, a journey into away from the familiar, away from the nice, neat boundaries, borders, and lines of our doctrines and dogmas that we've created to encapsulate and keep this God well-behaved into something else. And, and the question is, do we follow that God? From this lens, this story isn't primitive or barbaric or trying to freeze us with an understanding of God that really should be left behind because it should be. 
It's not trying to keep us with an understanding of God that is toxic and inhumane. It is actually a story that is inviting us and calling us to leave behind that image of God and to embrace a better one. That's still our journey. We are still about that work and we still have not arrived. We don't have God figured out. We, we can't define the word God. What we know is we're following a mystery that is calling us into more compassion, more love, more generosity, more goodness, more love of neighbor, more love of enemy than we ever thought possible. We still haven't arrived. But I, I do think I, I, I'd say the word no is a pretty strong word, but I, I, I trust two things. We are farther along than we were when we started. And we aren't stopping. We will follow this reality into a more generous, compassionate, expansive, good, loving humanity. And when we do so, we won't be leaving Abraham behind. We'll actually be following in Abraham's shoes. Because in this story, the binding, the Akedah of Isaac, Abraham, humanity, you and I learn a powerful lesson about what gods need to be left behind and maybe what gods could lead us into a place we can't even imagine.